Now, last time we closed out chapters 11 and 12. I'm trying to do two every week. We're going to do two tonight, believe it or not. But it's pretty lengthy, so I'm going to be going at a pretty brisk pace, reading a lot of Bible and um, just commenting as we go along. But it's going to be very, very good. I'm excited about it. Now, last time we closed out chapters 11 and 12. Having looked at a day in the life of Simon Peter, how exciting that was, with the main event being the opening of the gospel door to the Gentiles. Everybody say, that be me. me. Except Mike. (laughs) Are you Jewish? Oh, we have two. But for the rest of us, we're thankful that Peter took the door, the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, with the start of chapter 13, we will witness the launch of the first missionary journey. And the rest of Acts is really all about missionary outreach, but it is full of high drama, great moves of God, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the book. But now let's begin with verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord. Do you catch that? As they ministered to who? Now, I'm ministering to you, but you can also minister to the Lord. How do you do it? You worship him, adore him, love on him. So they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, church, pay close attention. Who did the sending? Who did the selecting, the calling, and the sending. It was not done by the will of men, was it? It was the choosing and the leading of who? The Holy Spirit. It just moves me because people talk about the Holy Spirit being an it or a force or a thing or some nebulous, you know, wind out there. But notice, separate to me, the Spirit said. The work to which I said the Spirit have called them powerful. Holy Spirit is a personality. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the principle. All true ministry is birthed by the Spirit. I'm going to say that again. All true ministry. If it's genuine, it was birthed by the Holy Spirit. Let me put it another way. Full-time ministry is not a career choice. Like being a CPA, a lawyer, a doctor, you know, those are careers. Ministry is not a career choice. Ministry is when God reaches down, lays his hand on somebody, and irrevocably, irrefutably, irresistibly calls them. And once he does that, you don't hold on to the calling of God. The calling of God holds on to you. So... Look what Paul said about this, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He said, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Whatever the gift is in your life, the Holy Spirit gave it to you. He willed it. It was his will to give it to you. He selected you to do something in the body of Christ. Each one. Didn't say some. It said each one. Each child of God has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do something in the body of Christ. And life really begins when you plug into that and start doing it. Now, 
Verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, I get an, I, listen, I get a gold star for reading these names. <laughs> they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. Now, the John mentioned here is not the aged Apostle John who wrote the Revelation and the Gospel of John, but it's John Mark, the same Mark who wrote the first of the four Gospels bearing his name, the Gospel according to Mark. Mark was the first Gospel written. The others came later. So that's the John here. Now, the word (coughs) assistant, notice it says they also had John Mark as their assistant. Really interesting Greek word here. It's a nautical word, literally meaning a, a rower on a ship. You know, we've seen them down in those, those sort of slave galleys, and, they, and they've got hold of the, the oar and their chain, and they're rowing. And it's letting us know that John Mark was in a subservient position at this time, learning servanthood, the servanthood that Jesus so clearly taught. I don't even know if he suspected that one day he would write the great gospel of Mark. You never know what God's going to do with somebody. You never know. Some of you, God's going to use you in a way, if you could see it right now, you'd faint. He's got his hand on you in a way you don't know. You're not aware of it. Verse 6. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, uh uh-oh, a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, not the sorcerer, the proconsul, the governor. This man called for Barnabas and Saul, that is the governor, and sought to hear the word of God, the one who he called intelligent. The intelligent man wanted to hear the word of God. Let it never be said, if you're going to become a believer in Jesus Christ, you must commit intellectual suicide. An intelligent man wanted to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, you you think you've got to dumb down to become a Christian? You try tackling that whole word of God. You could study it your whole life and barely scratch the surface. There's no book like it on earth. Now, look what happened. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God, but Elymas, another name for the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the governor away from the faith. That's what the devil always does. The devil's not out to give you a flat tire. He's not out to make something go bump in the night. Let me tell you what he's after. Your faith. He's after your faith. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to water down your zeal. He's after your faith. That's his real target in your life and mine. So that's why I'm always teaching you the word of God, because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, he's trying to turn this governor away from the faith and away from hearing the word of God. Always, always, always when God is moving, the devil will attack, usually through an individual who either knows or is an unwitting tool of the devil. He knows he's being used or he doesn't have any idea he's being used by the devil. But either way, The devil will move on somebody who has no discernment and they are used to attack. I want you to look at what happened in verse 9. It's about to get real here. Then Saul, 
who also is called Paul. Now make a little mark in your Bible. That's the first time Saul is called Paul, and he will always be called Paul after this. His Saul name is gone right here in verse 9. Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, oh, I love this. It gives me Holy Ghost bumps because he's full of God. He looks at this demon-possessed, demonized man, and he says, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. I don't think he's being very politically correct here. (laughs) But he doesn't stop there. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking somebody to lead him by the hand. And how many times have I wished I could do that? (laughs) No, at least a few times. Don't you wish that, well, let me put it this way. Paul talking to this man this way was in the Holy Spirit. Folks, there is something called righteous anger, and it's not sinful. Can I put it another way? God didn't call you to be nice. You know what what nice is doing to the church? Nice is killing the church. There's so many men walking around. I mean, wimpy Christian men who are just nice gentlemen nice. I don't want to offend. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to stir up any trouble. I'm just, I'm a nice guy. (laughs) What we want is truthful people who speak the truth in love, but are not afraid to say it. I mean, everybody say to me, Paul wasn't being nice here. He was being truthful. I got to say it. You son of the devil. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? It just makes me feel good just reading it. But look what happened to this, this man who was turning the governor away from the faith. A mist fell over his eyes. He went blind. He said, somebody lead me around. I can't see. It didn't last, but it lasted long enough to let him know. You do not get in the way of the move of God. This is the second occult practitioner the apostles have encountered, the first being Simon the sorcerer. Remember, Peter rebuked Simon while Paul spoke judgment over Elymas. Each time, the power of God was overwhelmingly greater than the power of Satan. There is no power greater than the name of Jesus and no power greater than the moving of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Now, the governor's watching all this, and look what had happened. Then the, then the proconsul, the governor, believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So he heard the teaching of Paul and saw this power that fell upon this sorcerer and blinded him. We don't know what happened to Elymas, but I wouldn't be completely surprised to find out that when the mist lifted and he could see again, he saw with different eyes. Now, verse 13 Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So they parted ways with John Mark. This was not the bad parting of ways we read about later. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, 
and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now, Paul was always going to the synagogue. And notice, Paul always went to church on the Sabbath. Even when he was traveling, he went to church. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, which is all they had, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Well, you don't tell a preacher that because he's going to say on. Now, I want to fill you in quickly here. Uh, Paul, remember, was from Antioch. So he now finds himself in a very familiar neighborhood, yet now... Paul, not Saul, Paul enters the synagogue, not as a stellar Pharisee, but as a red-hot, born-again Christian missionary afraid of no man, and he commences to preach the gospel. It's such a good message. I'm just going to read it. Then Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm... He brought them out. Now, I want you to say with me, he always brings you out to bring you in. He never brings you out to just stand there. He brings you out of something to bring you into something. He brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years. So that's how long the book of Judges covers, four and a half centuries. Until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Look at verse 23. Here's the Davidic covenant. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, that touches me. Because how did John's life end? By preaching truth to a politician didn't it? He said, you're not supposed to have your brother's wife. You're in adultery. And and they took his head off for it. But he had finished his course. He had finished his course. Folks, none of you want to slip into eternity without it being able to be said of you. They finished their course. I have fought a good fight, said Paul. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Now, so he finished his course. He said, before he was gone, John said, who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. I'm not worthy to undo Jesus' sandals. Men and brethren, verse 26, says Paul now, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. The Jews fulfilled the prophecies of the prophets, who they heard preached every Sunday. 
Can you imagine that? Every Sunday they're hearing the prophets preached, predicting the arrival of the Messiah. They hear it every week, but when the Messiah showed up, instead of receiving him, they took him, condemned him, whipped him, beat him, murdered him. Goes to show you, you can hear the word every week and be untouched. Yeah. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. Because just because you're sitting in a church chair doesn't mean you're getting it. Now, it says, and they found no cause for death in him. They asked Pilate that he should be put to death, though there was no cause to do it. Now, when they had fulfilled all, all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Read verse 30 with me, everybody, because Easter cometh. Ready? But God raised him from the dead. Amen. And he was seen for many days after he was resurrected by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. Verse 32, and we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 34, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, quote, he's quoting now one of the prophets, I will give you the sure mercies of David. This is Isaiah, I believe. And then verse 35, therefore he says in another Psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Jesus was not allowed to decay in the tomb. Verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. I'm going to stop here and, and make a brief comment. This is my verse, verse 36. This is, this is what I want my life to be. So I'm going to put my name, and I want you to put your name in here. For Jeff, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep was buried with his fathers and saw corruption, but it doesn't stop there because I'll be raised if, I, if I'm not there for the rapture. But here's what you want said about you, that you serve your generation by the will of God. And only then, when you were finished, your course was finished, did you fall asleep. I don't care what you do in life. If you, if you make a billion dollars and become famous, a household word, if you drip with charisma and you've got so much talent, it could be distributed to 20, to, uh, 20 people. If you can sing the paint off the wall and preach the roof off a church, I don't care. Listen, you can be a genius at business. I don't care, I don't care about any of those things. Listen, if you don't do the will of God for your life and serve your generation in that will, you failed. You're a failure. Sin means to miss the mark. That's what sin will cause you to do. Miss the mark, the bullseye. So I, I can be living in a little shack with nothing in the bank on the other side of the tracks. But if I'm doing the will of God and serving my generation, I'm better off than a man in a mansion with satin sheets he sleeps in at night 
with the whole world seemingly at his grasp. I don't care. The one who does the will of God is the winner, not the one who dies with the most toys. The world doesn't define success correctly. The Bible does. And here's success. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. He was a success. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up, that is Jesus, saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You will never be justified by good works. You will be justified by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 40, beware therefore, now he's got a warning for them, beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you, and that's what the prophet said. So he said to the Jews in church that day, he said, don't you guys and gals, don't you miss Jesus. Don't be a despiser. So his message, this this verse 41, is a quote from Habakkuk. He closes out with a a quote from Habakkuk, and he also quoted the prophet Isaiah. Habakkuk, just so give you a little history here, warned the people of his day of the impending Babylonian invasion, as did Jeremiah and several others of the minor prophets. They warned the people of God over and over for decades If you don't repent, the Babylons are going to invade and you're going to lose everything. They didn't listen. Isaiah warned the people of his day of the impending Assyrian invasion and they did not listen. And do you know that when the Assyrians invaded Israel, the northern tribes, they never returned. They were dispersed forever, destroyed. And Isaiah had warned them, but they didn't listen. Now here's Paul's point. He said, Habakkuk warned you, Jeremiah warned you, uh, Isaiah warned you. And he said, now I'm in the new covenant. I'm standing here in this synagogue and I'm warning you today. Do you know that the horrific Roman invasion of Jerusalem was only a decade or so away? Paul is bringing this message about 60 AD and 10 years later, 70 AD, the horrific fall of Jerusalem, the invasion of Jerusalem by the Romans happened. And over a million Jews, folks, stop and think with me a minute. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. They were starved to death within their city walls. Titus stopped all food from getting to them. They consumed their own young. It was to this people, the Jews, that Jesus looked at the city and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I wanted to gather you as a chick gather or as a hand gathers for chicks, but you would not come to me. Now, what was he doing? He was talking to people who 40 years from the moment he said that would be utterly annihilated and dispersed to the four corners of the world. He said to them, those people, he said, you better pray that the invasion doesn't come in wintertime because it's going to make it a lot harder for you to get out of Dodge in the winter. And you better pray that you are not great with child, lady, 
Because when you've got, when, when God, because God knew, Jesus knew, he said, I'm telling you, when you see the city surrounded by an army, I'm going to open a window for you to escape and flee to the hills. And my, the window is my word of warning to you. So he said, when you see the city surrounded by an army, know that the end is near. He wasn't talking about the end of time. He was talking about the end of Jerusalem. He said, remember what I said. As soon as you see that army surrounding and you know that the invasion is imminent, get out. Don't stay in Jerusalem. It's not a place of safety. It's a place of death. Get out. And do you know that history lets us know that many believing Jews and Gentiles who remembered what Jesus said fled to the hills of Petra and avoided the horrible, terrible Slaughter. The word of the Lord will save you. The word of the Lord will save you. The word of Jesus saved those people. Boy, if Jesus warns you about something, you better listen. Listen up. I didn't mean to go into all of that, but this made me think of it. Because Paul is now warning them, 10 years before the fall of Jerusalem. Don't be a despiser. You better wake up and receive Messiah and get in the game. Because you don't have but a decade left. You got it? Now, Paul's preaching has opened a great hunger in the hearts of the Gentiles that were present. And revival is about to burst forth. Look at verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They said, we got to hear more. You know, you know, you've done a good job if the folks want more. You know you're in trouble if they're looking at their watch going, I've had all I can take. I want people always leaving wanting more. Now, look what happened. They, they want more. Verse 43. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath... Look at this picture. Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine almost all of Fort Worth gathered somewhere to hear the word of God? So I want you to think with me a minute. See how God can literally touch an entire city with thirst for his word. That's revival. But as expected, resistance rises against it. And also, as expected, it comes from the Jews. Verse 45, and when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with what? Envy. And I wrote this because it's so true. How often Satan uses envy to attack God's people. It says, by envy, Joseph's brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. It says, by envy, they gave up Jesus. And now Paul is experiencing envy from the Jews because of the great crowds coming to hear him and contradicting and blaspheming. This is what the Jews did. They contradicted and blasphemed. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary the word of God should be spoken to you first, the Jew. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us. And then he quotes the prophet. 
I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, the Gentiles that were in the crowd, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life, believed. I've told you every week, when God's really moving, people are getting saved. Amen? Now, Paul, again, has quoted Isaiah. Like I said, I've set you as a light to the Gentiles. That's Isaiah. And you can find it in chapter 49, verse 6. The Lord's commission to who he calls his perfect servant. In Isaiah, he calls Jesus his perfect servant. Became Paul's warrant for turning to the Gentiles. Paul never acted without scriptural authority. That's so important, folks. We don't act on emotion, do we? We're not ruled by emotion. We're not supposed to be. What do we act on? We don't act on emotion. We don't act on coercion from other people. What, 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 when we take a step of faith, we must always take that step based on the authority of God's word. And if the word of God doesn't give you permission to do it, don't touch it. It's that simple. I don't care how Holy Spirit-filled you think you are. If you think you're being led to go against the Word of God, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. I don't care how good it feels. Amen? Amen. Now, the Word of the Lord, verse 49, was being spread throughout all the region. I love that. The Word was traveling. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. There's the Jews again rejecting their Messiah. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them. Any of you had a good shake the dust off your feet session before? Have you ever been in a place that just didn't receive you or the Jesus in you? Come on. I'm not talking about your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. Look up here at me. I'm, I'm talking about have you ever been out there, I have, and, and ministering the word, and I wasn't received at all. And I, and I went out and hit the bottom of my shoe, just knocked the dust off. Some of you might need to do that. I don't know. And I'm not talking, telling you to quit your job either. If you've got a job, hang on to it. But now, they shook the dust off, as Jesus had told them to do. And the disciples were filled with what? Joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now we come to chapter 14. It's about to get good. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke, they so spoke or spoke in such a way that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews, there they come again, stirred up the Gentiles and say the word with me. What they do? Poisoned their minds against the real brethren. That's a strong word. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. And he was granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, please notice, you just couldn't scare Paul away from the Jews, even though they constantly attacked this man, constantly tried to thwart the ministry in his life constantly threatened him physically, but he kept going back to them. He kept 
He had them in his heart. Romans 9. Read Romans 9. Paul's love for the Jews. Even though they had fiercely come against him in Antioch, he still sought to win some to Jesus. So to the synagogue they went once again. And this time he was rewarded with a great multitude of Jews and Gentiles believing. So can you learn with me tonight that we need some perseverance like Paul had? He didn't quit. He wasn't a quitter. It wasn't in his system. There wasn't an atom in his being that was a quitter. Now notice how Satan's counterattack was to raise up some of the Jews to poison the minds of the Gentiles against them. This is a word I want to look at for a minute tonight because this kind of thing happens in our day. This still happens in churches. I've seen it happen many, many times, and it's been done against me. It's been done against me. If you've been in the ministry any time at all, it's going to be done against you. Oh, but I've had people poison the minds of others against me in the ministry in my life. So this word for me is a buzzword. I want to look at it. It's a strong word meaning to make bitter, to harm. Now, those two words are different, and they have very different meanings. It not only refers to turning somebody against another, but that word literally means the person whose mind is poisoned is injured in their soul. It brings injury to the mind of the person who has been poisoned against another. That's a strong word. This, this is... this. Uh, I'm searching for the right. What I want you to understand is this. When, when you listen to an evil report about somebody else, when, it, when some gossip is spreading, and, and, you know, the church has a grapevine, Ernest and Julio Gallo would envy. Some of you have no clue what I just meant. And that's a good thing. Go home, pray about it, look it up. But here's the deal. Here, Ernest and Julio Gallo are winemakers which makes wine from grapes from vines. Now they get it. I'm so glad you didn't know that. That is so good. I'm so glad you didn't know that. Now, here's the deal. An evil, slanderous report not only brings division, but it literally injures the soul of the person it victimizes. It injures their soul. Let me tell you why. Because when you listen to an evil report, and the Bible in the book of Proverbs says you assimilate it, you digest it. It goes down into your innermost being, the word says. So it's like you, you have eaten something, and, and it's gone down into your soul, and it's digested. And what happens when food is digested in your system? It, it becomes a part of your body. It, strength, it, it, it is assimilated into your body. And so when you hear gossip or an evil report, and you take it in, and instead of saying, wait a minute, you, you know... Um, why are you telling me this? I'm not a part of the problem. I'm not a part of the solution. Why are you dumping this on me? Well, I just want somebody to pray. Well, I don't need to know all the details to pray. Just tell me you got a problem. God knows all the details. So I don't need to know all the details. Don't tell me the details. I don't want to hear it. But if you sit and listen to all those details and they get a captive audience and you take it in, it says it goes into your innermost being and it harms you. 
Because now, when that person walks into the sanctuary, what's going to happen to them? They're going to get the eye. You're looking at them. You're looking at them through the lens of what you heard. Not the lens of who they are. And everybody deserves a fair trial. And gossip doesn't give anybody a fair trial. So next time somebody wants to dump on you a bunch of stuff, say, wait a minute, I don't need to know details. You don't need to tell me any of that stuff. Just say, I have a problem. God knows about it. Will you pray? God will take care of it. It's a sad thing when people are poisoned against you because they just lost a blessing. And now let me ask you, who do you think Satan wants to poison you against more than almost anybody? The ones you're receiving from God. Because if he can stop up that well, then your source of spiritual nourishment is cut off. So don't be, don't be unwise, be wise. But, but these Jews poison the minds of some of these Jews and Gentiles against Paul. But he just kept right on going. He kept on ministering. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided because of the poison mines. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Jews and the Gentiles with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Verse 8, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Everybody say never. Never. This man had never walked. Verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently, seeing what? Everybody say it with me. Seeing that he had faith to be healed. He said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. (laughs) I love this. And he leaped and started walking. Man. Isn't it funny you can discern faith on somebody? So this man, for the first time in his life, leaped and started walking. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, look what they did. They raised their voices saying, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. So they were completely ensnared in Greek mythology. Look at verse 13. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice animals with the multitudes to Saul and Barnabas as gods. Oh, the fickleness of people. I want you to note how at this particular time they want to literally worship Paul and Barnabas, which they adamantly refuse. Now, I said something last week about true servants of Jesus and those who are all about themselves. And that's out there. People in the ministry, you have to be careful. It's the danger of ministry. When God starts using you, it's dangerous to think more of yourself than you ought to. You need to remember who's using you, who called you. You wouldn't be there for a moment if not for the grace of God. And remember that what's really doing the miracles and blessing the people is Jesus. But there are some people who really get into it and they begin self-worship. And, and if you listen to them, you hear constantly, me, myself, I. 
It's all about, that's their Godhead, me, myself, and I. And it's all about them and what they're doing and what they're going to do and what they have done and how wonderful they are. And they'll brag on themselves. And, and if a church that is in that environment is not careful, they will make an idol out of the preacher. Need I say any names? I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen many times. Preacher worship. That's why I told you last week, I sit over there. I tell you things that happen to me all the time because I'm a normal human being. I'm just a guy who God touched and called. But I want you to see how how abhorrent it was to Barnabas and Paul to even be thought of as worship material. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, he could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. But look what happens next. Notice how quickly and easily their emotions toward Paul change. Because who's coming next? Verse 19, the Jews. From Antioch and Iconium, where they had been, they had followed them to this next town. They came there. And what did they do? They poisoned the mind of the multitude. They persuaded the multitudes against Paul. So the same people that are wanting to sacrifice an animal to them and worship them just hours before, now they have stones in their hand and they're stoning Paul and leaving him for dead. You've often heard me say how important it is, folks. Please remember this. To minister to others as unto the Lord and not unto men. Because people will fail you. They will disappoint you. They'll pat you on the back one day, stab you in the back the next. They'll, they'll tell you you're wonderful one day. And the next day they'll be out gossiping against you. Not everybody, but I'm saying there's some that are about as deep as the nearest outside puddle in our parking lot. You're a hero one day, a zero the next, celebrated one day, criticized the next. So if, if you let how people treat you decide whether or not you stay in the ministry, you're out. You've got to do it as unto the Lord. Why am I doing this? I'm doing it for you, Jesus. Because they're not going to reward me on that day. You are. And I don't answer to them. I answer to you. And they didn't call me. You called me. So I'm not going to let people drive me out because they didn't bring me in. The same people that wanted to worship Paul have now stoned him and left him for dead. But thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Verse 20, however, the disciples gathered around him and, you know, they were praying. You know, he's bleeding a whole bit. He rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he's on the road, the mission road, with Barnabas, his co-laborer, to Derby. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They went back to the very cities from which the men came that stoned them. Everybody say fearless. fearless. 
You see those t-shirts with no fear? Paul made that. Look what he did, because this is what we're to do. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now we're almost done. Listen carefully. Notice how, no matter what, Paul kept at his task. And he was truthful with the people of God without cutting corners. You're going to encounter, he told them, many tribulations on the way to the kingdom. A far cry from your best life now. See, we need truth from pulpits these days. We need to be told the truth. God never promised us a rose garden. He said, you may go through hell on earth, but I'm going to be with you. I'll get you to the other side, but you are going to go through valleys. You're going to be disappointed. There's times you're going to be disillusioned, betrayed. There's times you're going to want to quit. There's going to be times you don't know where God is. There's going to be times where you are in a midnight hour. But he said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm going to get you to the other side. I'm going to carry you along. I'm going to make everything work together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. But I'm not going to promise you your best life on this earth. Our best life is yet to come. Verse 23, so when they had appointed deacons, oh, I'm sorry, elders, I was thinking of tonight. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they have been completed. So they now have gone full circle and they've gone back to their sending place. And look what they did in verse 27 as we close the chapter. When they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them on that first missionary journey and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So look at verse 28. They stayed there a long time with the disciples. Folks, you... You have to have breaks from your labor. There's an old saying, the bow always bent will break. The bow always bent will break. You've got to let that string go and let it go straight up. The bow always bent will break. String a guitar and set it in the corner and leave it for a couple of years. One day you hear pop because the strings are popping because they weren't meant to be strung tight that long. Neither are you. You're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. They took plenty of time to refill their spiritual tanks before the second missionary journey. Next time, you know what I'm going to talk to you about? How to know the will of God. Because we're about to see in the next chapter, they find out. So let's stand together, can we? In this good stuff, the book of Acts, amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus who did all these things through his early church. 
and he's still with his church today.